0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. This show is designed to help small business owners, salespeople, and aspiring entrepreneurs master every aspect of business success. We've got a great lineup of guests and topics scheduled for you. We'll be talking about everything from sales to employee issues, from technology to social media, from work-life balance to exploring uncharted territory. Participation is welcome and encouraged. Your host, Diane Helbig, is a world-class author, speaker, and business development coach. Be sure to check out her latest book, Lemonade Stand Selling, on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And now, on with the show. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Wherever you are today, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, as we said, we welcome your input. So if you are in the chat room, please uh, feel free to type something in, and I will share it with our guest. If you're on the phone, you can press 1, and that will let me know that you have something you'd like to share. Today's show is sponsored by ICNS Managed Services and Zarka Financial. Our hidden IT system problems costing your business time and money Unless you have the time, expertise, and manpower to continuously monitor your servers, network, and workstations, chances, chances are they aren't functioning at their peak. That means your IT system is actually costing you money in the form of wasted time, service calls, and lost productivity. Let ICNS Managed Services be your 24-7 remote IT lifeline, on-site but out of sight. Call 440-891-0465, or visit www.icnsinc.com to learn more. Zarka Financial's 25 years of business have included a strong commitment to educating their clients and others on timely and important financial topics and basic financial principles. They offer a full range of planning services for individuals, employees, and business owners across Northeast Ohio. Visit www.zarkafinancial.com, and Zarka is spelled S and Sam, Z-A-R-K-A. Today's guest is Joe Abraham. Joe has been involved in the startup and growth of over 20 companies, ranging from IT and healthcare to consumer goods and motorsports. To date, those companies have generated in excess of $450 million in revenues from startups. He is CEO of BossyDNA.com and author of Entrepreneurial DNA, the breakthrough discovery that aligns your business to your unique strengths. He's also a featured expert to the national media and advisor to entrepreneurship programs around the world. Welcome to the show, Joe.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, Diana.
1: I am so thrilled to have you on this show. I was mentioning to you before we started that I am absolutely fascinated by your book. I encourage every entrepreneur, small business owner, to go. Or if you haven't started a business yet, to go out and get it. And I don't usually say things like that, but what a great um, outline of the different kind. And we're going to get into it. But I mean, just so great about the DNA of entrepreneurs and how we think and the way we're wired. I just had no idea the the different. Um, ways we could be set up and and wired to do the things that we do. Well,
0: great. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that.
1: My pleasure. And and I did mention, too, and I'll share with the audience that I was afraid to take it um, because I was afraid that it would indicate that I was a different kind of entrepreneur than what I was behaving as. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that I was exactly where I should be. So don't be afraid of it. Get out there and uh, Dive in, take the test. It's it's not hard to take and read the book. It's really got great insight. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this, the topic of your book, The Entrepreneurial
0: DNA? Yeah, um, being a serial entrepreneur myself, it turns out that every company I've ever built, and there's been four of them that I've started up myself and then been involved in the startup of a bunch of others, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But the ones that I've started up, built, and sold, ended up always in some way working with entrepreneurs. We were always either generating leads for entrepreneurs or building software for them or um, doing training programs. We had a training company along the way. And um, so I ended up touching thousands of entrepreneurs as my customer and friend over about a 12, 13-year window. And uh, in 2004, I just sold one of my companies, and I was just kind of sitting around not knowing what to do next and ended up starting up a uh, kind of a business accelerator, an incubator here in Chicago, just working with entrepreneurs who were either starting up their business or growing their business, and we'd kind of work with them and help them raise money and, you know, uh, scale their businesses up, and uh, that's kind of where this discovery of entrepreneurial DNA happened, because working with all these different types of entrepreneurs made it very evident that, oh, my goodness, we're not all the same. The things that I like aren't the things that you like, and the, things, the marketing strategy that worked for Jim doesn't work for Sue, and the the um, hiring decisions that Bob makes in his business should not be duplicated in in tom's business and until so so that oh, that's been my background is basically building companies on and around entrepreneurs and um had a lot of success along the way and blew up one company along the way, so kind of had the battle scars of that as well <laughs> Yeah, but kind of i now I call myself the entrepreneur's biggest fan because I just love the entrepreneurial spirit and being around entrepreneurs and, and kind of brainstorming with them and helping them solve problems and build businesses.
1: So it sounds like that was a real learning experience for you, that, you know, you kept doing your thing and doing your thing, and you were doing it your way and thinking that's the entrepreneurial way. And then you start this incubator, and you're dealing with all these different people, you know, and all these different personalities. And and it sounds like that was a real wow Not everybody, not everything is right, or the my way isn't necessarily right for everyone.
0: Yeah, and there were like two wows, right? The first wow was a lot earlier in my career when I was building my businesses and um, looking over the fence at another entrepreneur and what they had done. So, so you know, back in the days when email Uh marketing was first getting started and driving traffic to websites, I would see another entrepreneur just hit a home run with the strategy and go, okay, well, I'll just copy his strategy or her strategy, only to find that thousands of dollars later and lots of man hours and headaches later, it's just not working for me the way it worked for them, right? So that back then, it, it was just a frustration, and it just kept growing and growing and growing, and I just thought nothing of it. I just thought, well, yeah. they're better than me, they're smarter than me, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Um, but then in other areas of my business, I was pretty darn good, and others would say, hey, Joe, how did you do that? Or And, and I'd tell them what I did, and it wouldn't yeah. work for them. But you're right. The real aha was in the incubator environment because, you know, at any given time we were working with four to six different companies and four to six different entrepreneurs, and it became really evident there. You know, you meet with one entrepreneur from 9 to 1130, and then by 12 o'clock there's another entrepreneur in there, and then by 2 o'clock there's another entrepreneur in. And so it was this really concentrated window where, like, for months and months and months we were – Touching so many different people that that's when it became an oh my goodness this this is like hurting cats and yeah. it's not working. <laughs> yeah.
1: a lot of people say that about entrepreneurs that it's like hurting cats. You know, cause, yeah, yeah, we all go in our own direction. So, so, do you think that this discovery about the entrepreneurial DNA, uh, do you think that can help the or decrease the startup failure rate if you know if people get
0: this? Yeah, you know, I, that's my, like, you know, when I lay awake at night thinking, okay, what am I really here for? That's kind right. of my goal is, to, you know, to see a drop in the failure rate across the globe. Now, at a, in a very small way, you know, we've only touched a few thousand businesses so far. We're already seeing the impact of it. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, I really do believe long-term, the more entrepreneurs internalize this, the better decisions they'll make. And, you know, when you and I as entrepreneurs make better decisions, our risk factors drop dramatically.
1: Right, right even for those of us who are risk-averse. So um, anyway, I have to ask you this question. What is your DNA? Is it B.O.?
0: No, you know, uh, for a very long time it was. You picked it correctly. Um, It's just that when I discovered the bossy stuff, I got so excited about it from a product perspective that my DNA, the innovator DNA, kicked into high gear. And it almost sucked me out of wanting to run a business and leading a team and doing all the things that a builder opportunist would want to do I, I honestly, right now, I could care less about running the company. I've handed that off to somebody else. We have a managing director who runs all the operations because I'm actually a detriment to the business because my IDNA is so high, I just want to be in the back room tinkering and creating the next cool thing around Bossy, you know, of work and products and software. And so that when that DNA or that side of the entrepreneur kicks into high gear, it's very dangerous for them to actually run their business because either they're going to blow up their business yeah. or... The innovation is going to die because they're so busy running their business; they're not really innovating or creating yeah. the next thing. So, um, I find myself now when I take the assessment, showing up with IB profile innovator is my primary, builder as my secondary, with just enough O or opportunist to be dangerous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, and in a minute, we're gonna. I want you to get into you know sort yeah. of a, an overview of what those four are, so that so sure. that people get it. So, but let's talk about. And actually you can do that now if you want. Um I, I really would like to talk about the you know, some of the highlights of the study of entrepreneurial day uh, DNA and how that can really make a difference
0: for entrepreneurs. Sure. So should we could we could talk about the, the, the study first and then I could break down the four. Or I could since Great. we started talking about the four, let's we could just dive, dive right into them now.
1: Yeah, let's Your do call.
0: that. Yeah, okay. So um, what I'll do is I'll run through this in order of group size. Okay. Because when we first stumbled across this, you know, uh, I was scribbling some notes on a piece of paper, and, you know, we started to come up with names for them, and I thought, okay, well, there's going to be pretty much an even distribution of all of us, you know, 25% yeah. in each of the four categories. Turns out it's kind of pretty heavily weighted towards S-DNA specialists. Well over 45, almost 47% of business owners will fall in this S-specialist category, and it'll make sense when I explain what S is to your, okay. to your listeners, because... Specialist is the type of entrepreneur who goes through years and years of schooling and apprenticeship or on-the-job training to develop a skill. You know, they, they got licensed. They got trained. They develop. You know, they spent 10 years learning how to do something. So think of a lawyer, an accountant, a consultant, a graphic designer, um, and a plumber, an electrician. You name it. But they are the experts of our world. Well-respected right. for what they do, really, really good at what they do. But with that... Um, kind of background comes a set of behaviors we've noticed and we see that comes with specialist DNA. They tend to pick one industry and stay with it for the long term. You know, so Bill Gates is a great example of specialist DNA, yeah. uh, picked IT and just got better and better and better and went deeper and deeper and deeper into that. Uh, they tend to be fairly risk-averse relative to some of the others we'll talk about. So they're not, you know, jumping on every money-making deal that comes their way. They're fairly focused. They put the blinders on. They show up to work, you know, uh, in the morning, and they work very hard all day long. And then pretty much at 5, 5.30 or whatever time it is, they're home, and they've kind of shut off the work engine. So they're very, they're fairly decent with work-life balance compared to some of the others. Okay. They tend to build very stable, small companies, companies that, you know, will grow well, but then they'll just hold at a very healthy revenue for a long time. Um. And uh, this group tends to generate most of their business through referrals and networking. That's, uh, you know, they would much rather the phone ring from someone saying, hey, Joe Abraham told me to call you uh, because he really enjoyed working with, with you, so, you know, um, so he recommended I give you a call. Yeah. An SDNA entrepreneur would, much, entrepreneur would much prefer that than have to go necessarily you know, do the typical showboat, hand out business cards, try and generate business, even though they have to do that. Right. So that's SDNA in a nutshell. Okay. Um, and again 40 to 47% of our marketplace has this DNA their opposite is the oh, the opportunist DNA and these are entrepreneurs who don't really pick one industry and stay with it they have a hard time staying in one industry for 16 minutes because <laughs> they're just wired to sniff out the next ground floor opportunity,
1: they they're like being
0: at the right place at the right time, you'll hear them talk about multiple streams of income and and residual income, and passive income, and making money while you sleep, and working harder, not smarter, that's all the language of opportunist DNA. Because And it's not that it's good or bad, it's just who they are. Richard Branson is a great example of opportunist DNA, because you know he didn't pick one industry and go, okay, this is what it's going to be for me. It's like anytime someone comes to him with a, what he believes is a great idea, it's, yeah, let's try it. Right? So... Records yeah. label sure uh, airline why not let's do that fly to the edge of space you know spacecraft why not let's do that too. Um, it, his last book was called Screw It Let's Do It right that's opportunist DNA. A lot of venture capitalists will have this. Every single network marketer multi level marketer will have very high opportunist DNA. Um, Interesting people so you know some of my friends and this I had, this, I, had I had I had very high opportunist DNA. When I first got involved in entrepreneurship, I wanted to get rich. I wanted to do it fast. I wanted to drive nice cars. And ideally, I wanted to have all that done by the time I was 30 years old, you know. So opportunist DNA entrepreneurs are wired to work very, very hard. They've got very high work ethic. They'll work very hard, but ideally for a window of time, two years to five years, you know, bust their rear end and then pull the, pull the plug, sit back, sit on a beach, sip in a Mai Tai, you know, while the money yeah. rolls in. That's kind okay. of the mindset of opportunity DNA. So a lot of professional salespeople, high-performance salespeople will have this DNA because as their dominant one because opportunist DNA people are typically really good promoters. When they find something they believe in, they just can't stop talking about it. They're very optimistic. Uh, specialists tend to feel like the sky is falling most of the time, but opportunists are just this very blue sky. They could lose $100,000 on a deal today and wake up tomorrow morning, dust themselves off, and go, okay, 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 I know that was supposed to be the great deal that just that happened to fail, but I think I found the real good one now. Huh. You know, they're always heading to, in that direction. So it drives them to be very incentive-driven. They aren't very interested in sitting in a cubicle. They aren't interested in, in the mundane day-to-day. They want to be out making big things happen, uh, landing big fish, hunting for elephants, uh, because that's just what motivates and drives them. So that's the O. They make up about... Twenty, almost 25% of the marketplace. Okay. So when you add those two up, the specialist-opportunist combo, oh, yeah. uh, they make up a majority of, of entrepreneurs in the marketplace that you'll run into. And interestingly enough, we're seeing that a lot of entrepreneurs have these two as their primary-secondary. In other words, we see uh, almost a huge amount of business owners who are specialist-primary, and they have a good amount of opportunists or they're opportunists primarily with a good amount of specialists. So in other words, they're kind of a yin yang, you know, they're it's kind of they're the tortoise and the hare at the same yeah. time. And that can be a good thing because the strengths of one of their DNAs are the weaknesses of the other and vice versa. But it can also be a very frustrating thing because it's very frustrating to make decisions when you're an SO or an O S profile entrepreneur. Because one minute you're making these super analytical, slow it down type decisions, and then the next minute you're jumping off the cliff with your hair on fire going, what in the world am I doing? You know, so one of the things we hear from entrepreneurs is, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I know my profile now because a lot of the things I intuitively knew about myself, um, I can now see them and I can almost anticipate when I'm in the strength or weakness of one of my DNAs. Because the whole process about this is just to identify to the entrepreneur, look, here's some known strengths of specialists like Bill Gates and Richard Branson, and here's some known weaknesses that they've compensated for, and how can you compensate for those in your process?
1: Yeah, which I have to say I think is one of the most valuable parts of the book because it, it it's action-oriented. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't say, okay, well, here's how you who, who you are now. Have a nice day. It's Here's who you are. Here's what you need to um, – here's how you can harness it, and here's what you have to watch out for. And here's what you can do to – make up for the
0: weaknesses. I thought that was really valuable. I think so, because that's what frustrated me about other things I saw out there when we were saying, do we even need to go do this research, was there were tools. I mean, there's Myers-Briggs, there's other personality types and stuff like that, but they really weren't A, geared to the entrepreneur, so they really had no insight for us. They could tell me kind of how I'm wired, but really there was nothing more to it than that. I still had to figure it all out beyond that. Right. What was interesting for us was to, as we were studying these entrepreneurs, beyond just how they're wired, we were able to say, okay, well, based on how Diane's wired, how does she run her business? And what are the marketing plans that worked for her? And what who, what people did she surround herself with where things went well? And what people did she surround herself with where things went really, really bad? Yeah. And that's, I think, the insight that we're able to pass on now and hopefully uh, accelerate success for entrepreneurs who go through the process. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's it's a really valuable part. Okay. So, so then- we talked about the S's and the O's, the specialists yeah. and opportunists. I'll run quickly through the um, the builders and innovators. So, yeah. uh, BI builders and innovators make up a smaller piece of our marketplace, and you'll understand pretty quickly why. Uh, IDNA entrepreneurs are typically people who were doing something they loved, and kind of a business popped up around them. It was kind of by accident. So this is the gal. Who- with grandma's cookie recipe, you know, and makes a batch of cookies, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, you should sell these things and make a million bucks." And um, next thing you know, the grocery store wants to stock them, and then Walmart calls and says, "Hey, we'll take a million units." And this entrepreneur is sitting there going, "Look, I don't want to talk about supply chain and lawyers and product, <laughs> this, that, the other. I just want to make cookies, you know." And you'll and you'll see this mad this uh, profile with a lot of the mad scientist type people who are either scientists by trade or inventors or artists or, um, you know, uh, very creative chefs. You'll see it a lot with people who just uh, or just tinkering in their garage We just have a passion for something, and out of that passion comes the big aha moment, and that immediately drives them into the lab of their business where they're making stuff, so to speak, and they don't want to be in the business office or at the cash register. So that's ID and entrepreneurs. So when... For example, when when Mark Zuckerberg first stumbled across the Facebook stuff, his I D N A was very high. And yeah. for those that have watched the movie, you know, even though people say it isn't the exact reenactment, fine. But even in the character of the movie, you'll see it was more about, hey, I just want to give it away. I just, I don't, I, I want this to be cool first. I don't, I don't, I don't care about the money. You know, right. I, I just want to change the world. So, innovator D N A entrepreneurs, when their when their eye is high they're in it more for the mission than they are for the money. They're not in it to to get rich. They're in it to change the world in whatever it is that they've come up with, so to speak. And so that drives them to make decisions very, very differently. As you can imagine, if someone's mission is change the world and I want quality over profits and all that, they're not going to be making business model decisions the way entrepreneurs do. Or like we're going to talk about builder DNA, who's the innovators opposite. It's, they're very different from each other. And so, because the, their decision making is very different, the, what strategies are going to work for them are going to be very different. Who they need to surround themselves is very, very different. Um, but that's DNA. They make up about 15% of the marketplace.
1: Okay.
0: And then their opposite is the builder, DNA, And just like the name suggests, with all of them, builders aren't very good at developing, designing new products. They usually don't build, come up with breakthrough stuff. They just take um, something and make it highly scalable. So what they are is it's almost when you look at them, they're almost wired to build highly scalable entities very, very fast because by design, their their brains are built and kind of they're built as problem solvers and scalers. So when they approach a business, they don't look at it like, hey, I'm going to start a business and make a great living and then maybe someday someone will buy it from me or something like that. They'll look at business as something that has to be huge, massive, infrastructure-rich, and highly scalable. So they measure their success by the size of their infrastructure. How big is our, you know, how many square feet is our office? How many employees do we have on payroll? How badly do we crush our competition this week? They tend to be serial entrepreneurs who can go from, you'll notice, they'll go from industry to industry. um, And unlike a Bill Gates, um, this would be like a Donald Trump-like, who will just pick one industry, one industry, build a huge company, then go to the next industry, build a huge company, build. and it doesn't really matter. They could, You could set them in a turnaround situation or in a startup situation, and they're always looking to scale up, scale up, scale up. They they tend to be kind of Piper-like, uh, let's call it personality, where they find it effortless to recruit uh, good talent, investors, customers, wow. they're... They're almost you call them master salespeople in, in the sense of, but not in a nice way. They're just, they'll just control you into their business. They're very controlling people. It's kind of that my way or the highway.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: uh, we know we're looking at someone with builder DNA. If they'll start a business and they'll blow past $5 million in revenue very, very quickly. found this very interesting mile marker at $5 million in revenue where most S's and O's um, will st- kind of build very good companies, but kind of in that range.
1: O's will break
0: past five, but then they usually can't sustain it for very long. Builders will break past five and go to 10, 20, 50, 80, 100 million and more um, while everyone else, because they're driven for it. That's how they measure themselves, and so that's what they go do. So that's builder. They make up about 15% of the overall market, which is why when you walk into a typical city or town, you see a handful of really, really large companies, and then a much them as stable small
1: businesses. Right. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about the highlights from the study, but I want to break real quickly here and remind everyone that um, today's show is sponsored by ICNS Managed Services and Zarka Financial. If IT issues are driving you crazy and costing you time and money, let ICNS Managed Services be your 24-7 remote IT lifeline. On-site but out of sight. call 440-891-0465 or visit www.icnsinc.com to learn more. Zerka Financial's 25 years of business have included a strong commitment to educating their clients and others on timely and important financial topics and basic financial principles. They offer a full range of planning services for individuals, employees, and business owners across Northeast Ohio. Visit www.zarkafinancial.com, and Zarka is spelled S and Sam, Z-A-R-K-A. Also, if you'd like to participate in today's conversation, uh, you are more than welcome to do so. We encourage it. If you're in the chat room, you can type something in, and I'll share it with our guest. If you're on the phone, you can press 1, and that will let me know you have something to share. Our guest today is Joe Abraham. He's the author of Entrepreneurial DNA, The Breakthrough Discovery That Aligns Your Business to Your Unique Strengths, and we are talking about um, how it is he came about this information and what this information is and how you can use it. So, Joe, let's talk about um, the highlights from the study and um, how it can really impact the entrepreneurial ecosystem,
0: so to speak. Yeah, so... um some key takeaways we got from the study. And I want to make sure I'm answering the right question for you. Sure. Was um, in one place it was business plan selection. In other words, especially I know a lot of your listeners are. I think you'd mentioned budding entrepreneurs. You know, so they're kind of on the fringe, thinking about it. Maybe they have their business idea or they don't, but they're really seriously considering entrepreneurship as a career track. How you're wired as an entrepreneur or as a pre-entrepreneur. Has a lot to do with what business is going to work for you, and you're going to have success with. Because we found a lot of entrepreneurs, because we studied over a thousand of them in our original research, and then since then, you know, several thousand have gone through the process with us. We find that entrepreneurs, for example, that are wired with a lot of O DNA, opportunist DNA, uh, will have these great ideas, and then they'll go, they'll say, I've got this idea for X, an app, let's say. But if they notice that their O DNA is very high. Our recommendation is don't start that business, especially not on your own, because if you really think about it, you'll look at your nature and realize that as great as the idea is that you've just come up with, you'll probably come up with an even better one in six months. And so to start a business uh, with just your DNA in play could be dangerous because no sooner do you start one business that you have an idea for another one or you, get, you hear about an even better investment opportunity. And uh, this happened with an NFL player we were working with in the incubator He's a very, high, very successful guy, very well-known in the world, in the NFL space, but had a lot of ODNA. So even though he had money and he, he had the, the business idea that we started working with him on, no sooner had we written the business plan and raised the first round of capital and we were sh- getting ready to start hiring staff for him, he was off doing something else that he was more excited yes. about. And at that time, he had four other things going on. And so we found and that pattern re- replicate over and over again with opportunist DNA entrepreneurs, which is... Now, unless you've got the right business partner or the right people surrounding you, starting your own business can be a very risky affair.
1: Interesting. So those people would be better off um, partnering or selling their idea
0: or, Yeah, it could be any one of those. But, you know, there was an American Express commercial a couple of years ago, and it replays every once in a while, where it was um, these these two partners who owned a brewery. And one guy was out selling, and the one yeah. guy was in the brewery, and the, you know he's calling in saying, "Hey, we sold another one. We landed another deal, we landed another deal." And then the partner on the inside is like, "Oh my gosh, I guess we need more equipment." And that's when the American Express thing comes up saying, "We can help."
1: Yeah. Well
0: that's a perfect picture of an opportunist on the outside doing what they're really wired to do, which is be the rainmaker, the deal maker, um, landing the big fish, and having a business partner who typically is a specialist, ask the opposite. In the business, running it, making sure it's, everything's done, and the, you know the beer gets made, and everything, uh, the finances are done, and everyone got paid correctly, and all that. Uh, anyone with high opportunist DNA who would admit that paying bills on time and you know following up on paperwork and all that kind of stuff isn't who they are—they're not wired for it, even though they can do it. Yeah, it, that analogy I think you remember from the book where I talk about the different types of dogs. Right, a yeah. beagle could go race a couple of greyhounds around the racetrack, sure. He could try and he could really work hard at it, but he's just not bred for it. He's just not wired for it, so he's going to get his get crushed every single time. Right. Meanwhile, take that same beagle and send him on a hunt uh, against the, the greyhounds, and he's going to have a field day you know, over the greyhounds. So it's right. very similar with entrepreneurs. Once we know who we are and what our innate strengths are, we can start to say, okay, i got to go hunting, and I'm a greyhound. I need to find myself a beagle, either a partner or an employee or a service provider or an advisor. I I need that missing gap filled. So on the business plan side or the business selection side, uh, we find that this little assessment is just a great checkpoint for an entrepreneur to say, okay, how am I wired, and what does that say about the type of business that I'm going to be best suited for? You know, people with opportunist DNA are better suited to go into an existing business venture where they can just plug in and make money, which is why network marketing works great for opportunist DNA or franchising works really well for them because someone else is dealing with all the back-end stuff and the websites and the product and the shipping and the paying and all that, and the O can just do what they do best. They can plug in, make a bunch of money, and then unplug whenever they want and not have the whole thing fall apart in the process.
1: So that's an example.
0: Now, at the same time, if a specialist was saying to you or to me, hey, I you know, I was introduced to a franchise opportunity. I was introduced, let's say, not even to a franchise opportunity. A friend of mine really wants me to get involved in network marketing or investing online. We would advise strongly against it because the risk tolerance it takes to do those kinds of things and the kind of activities it takes to be successful in those businesses is very anti-specialist DNA. They're just not wired for it. You're not going to go out and, you know do meetings in people's houses and, you know, try and get them excited about buying your product. That's just not what yeah. it does. Yeah, uh, So business selection was one of the big insights we got hmm. from the process. The next one was business plan. You know, um, let's say someone was going to start a consulting firm or a coaching firm or whatever it may be. Well, there's a lot of different business models you can choose in a consulting business. There's, you know, trade time for dollars. There's create product. There's, you know, different choices and, again, one's entrepreneurial DNA should drive which business plan or business model they choose because otherwise we run the risk of looking across the fence like I used to, go, oh, well, Sue seemed to hit a home run with that strategy or, hey, I read about this great you know, person on, who was highlighted in Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur Magazine who built this great app and I'm going to follow their plan. Well, it usually doesn't go well for people who aren't wired like them. And so business selection was another piece. And then the big, big one was team. Who do you surround yourself with? And that's not just employees because, you know, there's a lot of solopreneurs out there, but it's who your service providers are, who your key business advisors are uh, really matters. And certainly if you're going to hire employees um, or have a business partner, their DNA or how they're wired should really impact the decision or at least it may not be a yes-no decision, but it may be, okay, I'm going to go into business with Diane. She's got a very different DNA than me. Well, let me study that, the strengths and weaknesses of that DNA, so that when I'm working with her, we can better complement each other. When she does something, I won't think she's crazy. I'll understand that's who she is, you know, and we can leverage that.
1: And I have to say that, I mean, I, I think that is a huge huge part of it i am um, co-founder of a business here in lakewood and for the longest time it seemed like there was an expectation that we would both operate the same way and it was really just didn't feel right and then you know finally it was okay wait a minute you do what you do i'm going to do and i think he's oh i I want him to take the test because i think he's oh i'm s so we complement each other very well as long as we're leaning into that. You, you know what I mean? As long as no, I'm exactly doing my S and he's doing his O.
0: And he needs to understand what an S is and how right. you're wired. He can appreciate it because otherwise he'll look at you going, man, she's, she, she's just different than me. She's like making all these slower decisions. I want to right. move faster. She wants to analyze everything. I want to go, go, go. Right. And I think that's the power of understanding each other to say, wait a minute. Everything that I'm really bad at, which is making impulsive decisions and wanting to jump off the cliff, she's good at. She doesn't want to. So how do we create that balance? And versus you looking at him going, you know, he does stretch us, you know, beyond our normal limits, and that's actually a good thing, but how do we keep from stretching ourselves so far where we actually accept more than necessary risk?
1: Exactly. He's horrible
0: with paperwork. He's horrible with follow-through. He's horrible with the detail great, I'll take over that because the more yep. I can take over that, he can be more creative and, and yeah. So that's it, right? You're right. It's uh, it's just understanding each other and um, appreciating. I think that's the key. So how do I yeah. learn how to appreciate my partner or my key employee uh, in, even though they think very differently than me?
1: And I think the other part is appreciating myself and letting go of those things. Right, yeah. Because you're right, he's not going to follow up the paperwork, but he, he still will take them on. It's like, okay, wait, don't. You're not going to do them. You know? And it's cool. Right. I, I will. Right. So and it's if not that, like anybody cares.
0: Just, yeah, because the more someone can understand what their strengths are, so in his case, if he is, oh, his strength should be in promotional activity and being out there building relationships and stuff, Yeah. we need to convince him that every minute he spends doing paperwork, it's, it's actually a detriment to the business because we could hire anybody. We could hire a virtual assistant to do the paperwork, but we can't hire that same virtual assistant to do the things he's gifted to do. Exactly. And I think that's the same case with innovators. It's like, yeah, you can run your company, but yeah. we couldn't pay anyone enough. There's no amount of money we could pay somebody else to do innovation and product development. Only yeah. you have that gift. So that's the one you need to focus on. Let's have somebody else do the things that you don't need to be doing.
1: Exactly. It's very enlightening and, and liberating, I have to say. I mean, it was so funny. I was, like, reading it and taking the test and going, okay, wait, now I know this is who this is, and this is, you know, it's 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 got great clarity to it, which I love. So um, are there other highlights from it that you identified?
0: You know, I think I, I hear a lot, you know, especially young entrepreneurs or startup entrepreneurs, you know, the first thing they probably look at someone like you or they listen to your show for or maybe even come to you for business advice is, Money, you know, I need yep. money. I need to start. I need f- startup funding. Um, I think we learned a lot in working with various entrepreneurs about the funding thing, which is a. It's not always as necessary as people think it is. You know, um, if you've got, if you understand the importance of launching a minimally viable product, you know, version 1.0 of your product with little to no money, proving that it really has marketplace value and then going to look for money, A, you're going to have a much better time raising money, if raising money is even that important. Um, But when it comes to raising money, we found that in each of the four DNA cases, there's a different best practice. So, for example, with an S entrepreneur, they typically don't need to raise huge amounts of money to get their business going, but even if they do need access to capital, they're much better candidates for uh, debt financing, a loan from their bank or a loan from a family member or a loan from their own 401k, than they are to go raise equity capital or bring in an investor. reason being, SDNA companies typically don't scale super fast and generate huge returns, but they grow very stable, and SDNA people are wired to be very diligent with paying people back. It's just in their nature to want to take care of that. So a lender is much better protected with an SDNA entrepreneur, um, and an SDNA entrepreneur has a lot less headaches. Uh, when they don't have to deal with equity partners and investors and so on and so forth. As a, as a different to that is the O, ODNA entrepreneurs typically are always raising money because they always have another thing they want to do, and they find very quickly the well dries up. All the people that gave them the 5000 or 50000 last time aren't as interested this time because maybe a previous deal didn't work that great. And so now what do they do? And so we advise them, we have advice for them on, okay, if you're an O, you have a totally different fundraising strategy. don't even bother going and writing a business plan to sit down with a banker. You're wasting your time, um, or even with a VC. You know, um, The builders and innovators do really well with equity financing because they typically either have very strong intellectual property that investors want to invest in uh, because they've got patents and protection and whatever it may be, or they have the builder DNA, the investor will send, that hey, this person's already built a couple of multimillion-dollar businesses,
1: They're going to scale my
0: investment from 1x to 10x, you know, so there's a higher percentage chance that they'll get invested. So when it comes to getting growth capital or startup capital for a business, just like everything else, one size doesn't fit all. So it's really important to understand who you are because even though, you know, Bossy isn't a household name yet and not, not every investor or bank is running you through a Bossy assessment or anything, intuitively, investors and bankers and lenders know how to read people and they'll just look at your history or they'll ask you some questions or they'll look at your business plan and in their own filtering system, they'll know if you're more builder than innovator, more opportunist than specialist. It just happens to be that we came up with four words around it, you know, but this is intuitive stuff that everyone kind of inside already knows. Yeah. So
1: it saves a lot
0: of headaches for yeah. someone because you know you've probably dealt with people who said, I've been I wrote this beautiful business plan. I paid someone five thousand or twenty five thousand dollars to write it and now I'm going everywhere and I'm getting rejected time after time after time. Well it may not be you it may not be your business plan. It may just be that you're barking up the wrong trees. Right. Right.
1: Absolutely. I just didn't realize, you know, the the breakdown. So how do people find out what their DNA makeup is, you know, what what they have.
0: Yeah, so the easy way to do it, there's a couple of options. One is to, um, you know, grab a copy of the book, and in the book is one of the – there's a shorter version of the assessment that's included. Or uh, they can go to our website, BossyDNA, which is B-O-S-I-D-N-A dot com, and right there, right on the home page, they just select what their – what their role is currently, and the assessment pops up. It's free. And so it's, it takes about three, four minutes. You get your results right away. And then right after the results, after the report, is a little video course that you watch. Uh, again, that's free, but it gives you a chance to understand all the four DNAs. A lot of the conversation you and I are having now, a lot of that stuff's covered in the video course. But it's a great follow-up to look at your report, and then I kind of walk you through in, in video format some tips and insight on what to do next.
1: Okay, and, and you, you mentioned before, and um, I know, you know, I have a primary and a secondary. You mentioned primary and secondary. Do most people have primary and secondary, or do they have primary, Yeah.
0: You know, I mean, how does that work? Or three of them? I mean, how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so let me talk about that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, everyone, I'm, there's about 1% of entrepreneurs who come up when they take the basic assessment. It's just a, a kind of a purebred. You know, okay. if we were talking in dog analogy again, this would be like a purebred. But, but 99% of the time, they have a primary and a secondary. Okay. And what we're finding, you know, I didn't know this when we first got uh, done with the research, but now we've learned so much more. Here's what we found, is that really, we've got all four of these in us, you know, because all it is is behaviors. It's a it's mindset, you know? Yeah. So it's just a matter of at this given moment in time in your business, what are the two most dominant? Because... You'll find, and I find this for sure, I think I mentioned this earlier in our talk, when I first got into entrepreneurship, I was very high opportunist DNA. And so I was making a lot of opportunist-like decisions. And there were certain businesses that I got involved with that worked really well for me and because I had that DNA. But then over time, we, I started to morph more, more into that builder DNA when we started to start up company after company. And once I started the incubator, that builder DNA became really strong. And I started to show a lot of that behavioral temperament. And I would have stayed that way for probably the rest of my career. Uh, but then when I discovered the bossy stuff, kind of that I DNA kicked in, right? So really what this assessment is, it's a snapshot of who you are today. And especially okay. if you're a younger entrepreneur, earlier in your entrepreneurial career, so to speak, you know, you could be any age, but it's more like how, many, how old of an entrepreneur are you? Um, you'll find yourself morphing. And we find a lot of entrepreneurs change their profile over the first four, five, eight, ten years of their career. Usually about, you know, ten years into being an entrepreneur, you start to stabilize a little bit more. Um, but it's really important for younger entrepreneurs to, to keep coming back, which is one of the reasons we made the assessment free, is so that there's never a detriment, you know, there's nothing right. preventing you from coming in and retaking it. So, yeah, everyone has a primary. Everyone has a secondary. And then the other two, we call them your minor DNAs. It's just a matter of, you know, are they in play right now or are they pretty much dormant? And uh, so, a lot of times, you'll find yourself saying, "Oh my gosh, that's the opportunist in me kicking in." You know, yeah. um, an entrepreneur may enter a chapter of their business career where their opportunist DNA just kicks into high gear because there's some marketplace pressure, or some competitor pops up, or something happens, or they come into some money, and suddenly they're making opportunist-like decisions because they want to kind of parlay that, or they want to accelerate their business. Um, yet others. Will, it'll happen a flip way. They start off as opportunists, but then some of their specialist kicks in. So it's almost you. Almost a, like to I like to tell people picture this as kind of the angel and devil sh- sitting on your shoulder, trying to influence the decisions you make. And it's just important to know what those voices are, so you can understand them and put a name to them and go, oh, that's the opportunist in me, or that's the builder in me, or that's the innovator in me, and instantly be able to know, okay, what does that mean? You know, or, what are some of the traits that come with that?
1: And that, um, understanding that then, so then in the situation, you're able to say whether it's the angel or the devil you should be listening to?
0: Yeah, exactly. And in every case, it's going to be different, right? Because in some cases, your opportunist DNA is the absolute angel. It's going to push you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. But in other cases, the opportunist can be absolutely the devil. It could drive you to make an impulsive decision that you really regret. Yeah. So, Filtering any given decision through the lens of, okay, which part of my DNA is driving this decision allows the entrepreneur to have to make that decision with more confidence. Should I hire this person or should I not? Should I buy that advertising or should I not? Should I go to that event or should I not? You know, uh, Those are all decisions. We're making those decisions every day, sometimes 15, 20, 30 times a day. Right. Uh, but every once in a while we're making some bigger ones where it's important to ask the question, why? And what's driving this decision? Yeah. And, and okay
1: so it's all so fascinating to me um and and like i said i mean so eye-opening and and enlightening it, it i love stuff like that you know you, you know all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes off over your head um so you know you find out what your dna is and then, you know, you take the assessment, you find out what you're doing, and, and then, so then what do you, other than in the moment, knowing what to do, what really should entrepreneurs do with that information? Does it depend on what they discover and where they are yeah, so in their are business?
0: Talking, are you talking about this when the first time they go through the process with us? Or yeah. Or are you talking about in a given situation? Oh, okay. No, no, first so time they go through the process. When they first come, in, come, to, come to us, yeah, take the assessment, watch the video course, you know, um, my publisher would love for you to buy a copy of the book and, and just kind of go through that process. And just in that process, and especially towards the end of the book, um, I take people through this strategic replanning process because here's what's what's happened for all of us, either as a budding entrepreneur or even an existing entrepreneur. we've uh, We've eaten at the buffet of business strategy already. We have to almost picture, like, until now, we've walked into business strategy like we would walk into a buffet restaurant, and we've tried a little bit of this, and tried a little bit of this, and tried a little bit of this, and so we've piled our plate, or in this case, our business, full of a lot of different strategies, you know, marketing strategy, and what our website says, and how we sell, and how we present ourselves, and all these different strategies, how we price our product, and how we promote our product, and uh, who our partners are and aren't. So there's a lot of stuff on the plate already. So big, you know, the, the The final third of the book is basically saying, okay, basically what you've learned about your DNA, about who you are. Now, what does this say about your go-forward business plan? What are the things that should stay on the plate that are actually built around you and are good for your business? And what are some things that are on the plate that are probably things you're allergic to, you know, from a food analogy perspective that could actually be slowing your business down? So that's the part that I really encourage entrepreneurs to go through is, Once they've had this discovery moment of discovering their entrepreneurial DNA, the next step is what I call the design phase, which is how do you design your business and your life around who you really are? And in some cases, just going through the book and reading through the chapters, you know, I give you all the exercises there. Just do them and you'll have a whole new strategic plan for the next three years. In some cases, you may have to reach out to someone like Diane and say, hey, can I work through some of these exercises with you? I've got lots of questions. I'm a specialist innovator, and I agree that I've got all these issues, but which of these strategies in my business should I keep and should I not keep? And so one of the things we're doing at Bossy is we're trying to certify as many business advisors and coaches as fast as possible so that for some entrepreneurs who don't want to just do it by themselves, who just want someone looking over their shoulder or someone to spend an hour or two or a half day with them, they can go through this process through the same exercises but really make sure they're making some good decisions for the future. So that's the design process once you've had the discovery moment. And then it's just what I call deploy. It's just a matter of getting out there and deploying that plan and then making little tweaks and adjustments as you go and getting better and better at hearing those voices in your head and making those decisions, leveraging the strengths of not just your DNA, but you get really good when you start to leverage the strengths of other people's DNA. You know, when you get talking into a networking event, and instantly know who are the people I really need to connect with and how do I connect with them the way they want to be connected, that's when you really become a pro. You know, or when you hire somebody or bring on a service provider to design your website or someone to write copy for you, or even if you hire a full-time employee, um, to be able to, in a sense, know them just by asking them a few questions and learning their DNA yeah. and then getting the most out of them. That's where I think there's the, there's the quantum growth opportunity.
1: Wow, and so and you just said something about hiring somebody, and it made me think about and actually the thoughts been running through my head through this whole thing because I go through this with a lot of my clients. How does this then impact the sales process? And what I mean by that is, you know, I have clients who are entrepreneurs who, while you know, somewhere in their head they know they should be selling, it it just is not what they're going to do. So, or isn't even apparently what they should be doing, right? If they're not, Mm -hmm. oh. Right. So, does that does it make it clear for people to say, okay, you know what, I'm not even going to bother learning that because I need to hire somebody or I need to get a contract salesperson in here, or do they or should they really really be nurturing that referral, um, you know, networking aspect or both or?
0: Yes, absolutely both. So I think what you're describing is a specialist. So in the case of someone with specialist innovator or innovator specialist DNA. Um, for people like you and me to force them or other people would force them into saying, well, just go sell. Just go make the calls. Dial for dollars, man. <laughs> um, well, we could say it all we want. it's not They're not going to do it, and they're going to feel horrible doing it. So, yes, it's, it's a combination of two things. Number one, if your resources allow for it, who can you bring in or who can you contract to or how can we find an O who can get really excited about your product? Because as soon as they get excited about what you do, they won't be able to stop talking about it. Yeah. So all we need to do is find and know who's excited about what we do and give them the right incentive, and they'll go sell. You don't even have to pay them a salary in many cases. You just have to give them the right incentive. They'll do it for a commission, right? It just has to be something they're passionate about. And a lot of SIIS profile entrepreneurs have great product. They have best-in-class product typically. So, so yeah, if, if resources allow, um, find that and let them do all that stuff. But at the same time, Take advantage of some of the best practices of specialists. Uh, yeah. Some of the strategies such as networking and stuff that really do work for you. And um there's a few others that we recommend. But yeah, it's kind of a combination of leverage people and your greatest strengths, but certainly don't try and be someone you're not.
1: It's really great. I, I, I think that's probably gotta be really liberating and I know um and, and I you know, I don't usually when I'm doing my show really, you know, push a book but i really believe that this audience should be getting this book and taking the assessment and reading the the different segments of it because there really is incredible value i mean i'm using it in my business and it, it and I, I think and and i've even asked clients to take the assessment so just from you know being even you know still working in the book so yeah. um I, my listening audience is, audience knows I, I don't usually do that, but when I come across something that I feel very strongly about, I think that I think would really be of value in my audience. I, I want to make sure that they know that. So, um, sort of turning it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, it is apparent to me that you are really passionate about entrepreneurs, and I'm wondering what it is about small businesses and entrepreneurs that really
0: interests you and really gets you jazzed up. It's the, uh, it's the entrepreneurial spirit, and I know that's kind of a vague answer, but I'll see if I can give it, dive into more detail. There's, um, there's a glimmer in an entrepreneur's eye. There's a, there's a passion that they have once they've discovered or had that epiphany. You know, like Michael Gerber says, that once they have that aha moment of, I'm going to leave company X and go start my own company, or I've come up with a product idea, or I've got whatever the thing is that drives them into entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. it activates a part of who they are, that's usually very latent in a in a corporate environment. They have to almost turn that part of themselves off when they check into a J-O-B. Yeah. And so to see that thing fire up, to see that engine fire up, it's really exciting for me because it's a part of, I, I think we were kind of built and created to be entrepreneurial. And it's just most people have to turn it off. And so I like being around people who have it on <laughs> because they're just so excited and about what they're doing. Even... Through the toughest times, you know, even when their business isn't doing that great and there's lots of financial pressure and, you know, there's no money in the bank or negative money in the bank account, there's just that part of the entrepreneur that says, I still believe I can do this. I still am going to keep pushing. Uh, that's, that's, that's something to celebrate, and that's what keeps me excited to work with entrepreneurs.
1: And you find that in all
0: of them, right? The, yes, the, the, in yeah. all of them, absolutely. Just in, They express it in a different way. Right. Right. So for the I, we remember we were talking about, it's about their mission. So it doesn't matter if they have money or no money. It's about changing lives and for yeah. them, it's about serving that client. You know, um, money or no money. Hey, my clients are doing well and I'm happy about that. You know. And for the O, it's about hey, look, I am flat broke and forty thousand dollars in debt right now, but you know what? In two years, in five years, I'm gonna have four hundred grand on the other side of this thing. You know. Yeah. And so every every entrepreneur measures it differently and has a different thing that motivates them and drives them, but they still have it. You know, you typically drive down the road during rush hour traffic and you see a bunch of people going to work, and they just don't have it. It's just they have had to turn it off
1: yeah. in order to keep yeah. the job they have. It is interesting that you say you think they have it, but they turn it off, you know, that we all have it, but we turn it off Um to go to a job, that that that'd be an interesting thing to see if really everybody has it somewhere in them because it seems like there's people who they are just more comfortable going to work someplace. You know, they are totally risk averse. You know, so they are yeah, much happier having someone else make decisions.
0: Well, absolutely. You know, when uh, you know more and more larger corporations are starting to reach out to us and colleges that do consulting work with large corporations in the area and they're starting to go through the assessment process to say, how do we foster entrepreneurship and innovation inside our companies, right? Because they're finding that the more clone-like they try and make their employees, innovation dies. Well, it's interesting to note that within even a corporate environment, there's some entrepreneurial DNA. Just some are S, some are O, some are builder, some are innovator, you know? Um, There's the people who take charge of large teams. There's the people who are outselling. There's the people who are great, like you said, want the risk averse, just give me the paycheck, and I'll do a really, really good job at what I do. And then there's the people who are tinkering and coming up with new product, but but even in that even in a corporate entrep- you know in that entrepreneurial DNA setting in a corporation, I notice from having worked with them in most cases it's still off the true entrepreneur in them that has the capacity to to do stuff so is turned off. They're almost playing a game. It's because everyone in corporate America knows very well how to not get fired. Yeah, and right. And so you do just enough. And yeah. I believe that the real entrepreneurial capacity, even corporations, is very latent. It hasn't been activated because the systems in those companies don't want them to be activated. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we are seeing such an exodus of good quality talent, leaving corporations and going into entrepreneurship, which I'm very happy about, by the way. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) me too, because I think that's what's going to, you know, fix the economy. Yep. So, well, I I have to tell you um, how... Much I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this information with my audience. I, as obviously, am very enthusiastic about the book and the whole process. I, I think it's really tremendous. I think there, one of the greatest things I have to say for me about it is that all of the types can be successful. That, that it didn't really seem like there was one type that could be more successful than another. It's really about leaning into your type. And and yes. uh, embracing who
0: you are. So, yeah, we have um, billionaire and millionaire entrepreneurs in every one of the categories, and corrupt and broke entrepreneurs in every one of the categories. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: really really fabulous. So, will you share with with the listeners if there's um, something you've got going on? Or I, I did type you, the um, web address into the chat room. Um, but, you know, we can share it again. The uh, B is in boy, O, S is in Sam, I, D is in David, N is in Nancy A dot com. Uh but but what other information would you like them to know about um where they can uh find you and uh learn more?
0: Yeah, so my little blog is I don't blog much anymore, but it's still there. There's some stuff I've written in the past. Once a month or twice a month I'll write something up there. Is it JoeAbraham dot com? Okay, so if, uh, that's where someone could... But you know, really go to BossyDNA.com. Uh, people can find me there. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, all that stuff's right there. So it's it's an easy one-stop shop. But certainly if you wanted to learn about some of the stuff I've been writing about or some of my stuff I've done, you can find that at JoeAbraham.com. Okay, that's wonderful.
1: Um, thank you so much. And I would like to sh- uh, thank all of our listeners for joining us today, as well as our sponsors, icns and zarka financial uh, please visit icns at www.icnsinc.com and zarka financial at www.zarkafinancial.com. and zarka is spelled s-z-a-r-k-a our next show uh, thank you for everything
0: you're doing uh, to support entrepreneurship It's, it's fantastic
1: Oh, you, thank you. I appreciate You know, I'm passionate like you are. I just, I think it's just, you know, critically important to all of our futures. Um, our next show will be on August 27th when my guests will be Rick Martin and Chuck Conrad from Zarka Financial. They're going to be sharing some uh, strategic financial planning tips for small business owners. It's one of those things that we don't necessarily think about that we should. So, and as always, if you know someone who you think would be a good guest on the show or if there's a topic that you'd like me to explore, uh, please let me know. You can reach out to me through the show page at blogtalkradio.com slash dhelbig or you can email me at my website um, or give me a call. So, thank you all. Have a great couple of weeks and uh, we will be talking to you again on August 27th.